0: Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 170 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to start by sharing a personal cautionary tale to those of you who are eagerly awaiting the COVID vaccine. Like many of you, that was me, and I was very eager to get the phone call from my cancer center telling me that I'd been scheduled, and since I hadn't received the call, I decided to take matters in my own hand and reach directly out to my oncologist, who coordinated the appointment with my last chemo treatment. And I showed up when I was supposed to, all excited, told everybody as I was going through the check-in process that I felt like I'd won the lottery. And when I finally got to the point where they called me back to receive my injection, I sat down, started rolling up my sleeves. And the nurse was looking over my paperwork and asked me, so when did you receive that shingles injection, that shingles vaccine? And I told her eight days ago and she looked at me and said, I'm very sorry but you can't get the COVID vaccine. There has to be at least two weeks between vaccines, no matter what kind you're taking. To say I was devastated would definitely be an understatement. So lesson learned. And unfortunately, I couldn't quickly reschedule it because the Moffitt Cancer Center at the time was out of vaccines or are about to be out. So I'm waiting for the next call. I'm, I'm back, you know, back to square one, so to speak. So just know if you are eagerly awaiting your COVID vaccine and you may have, you know, different doctor's appointments, might be scheduled for maybe a pneumonia vaccine or a shingles vaccine or something like that, be sure to ask your doctor what the impact may be if you're also awaiting or have scheduled your COVID vaccine so that you don't wind up with the same experience that I went through. I want to remind everybody that we're continuing our exciting partnership with campaign one at a time. CEO Brody Nicholas will be joining us later on in today's episode to introduce this month's child of the month. And I know some of my friends in the colon cancer community already know Of Jalen and his story. And I won't steal Brody's thunder, but he will be sharing uh, the link for you to learn more about Jalen and his story and provide him and his family support to grant uh, one of the big wishes that he has. So you'll check that out at wehavecancershow.com forward slash Jalen and that's spelled J-A-Y-L-A-N. So be sure to check out Brody's introduction of the Child of the Month for February, our buddy Jalen. My guest this week is Carly Flumer. Carly is a thyroid cancer survivor diagnosed at the young age of 27. And during our conversation, we talked about patient literacy. What does it mean to be an informed patient and how to work with your doctor to have an effective two-way communication? We also talked about the interesting work that she does at the National Cancer Institute around the area of clinical trials, and also about her passionate patient advocacy work, which if you scroll through Twitter, and you can find Carly there at at Carly Flumer, C-A-R-L-Y-F-L-U-M-E-R, you can see the passionate cancer advocacy work that Carly does. So join me now for my conversation with Carly Flumer. Carly, welcome to the We Have Cancer Podcast. So grateful that you reached out to be on the show. I really appreciate it. And where I wanted to start was your diagnosis. I've not talked to many people who've run into thyroid cancer at the young age that you were diagnosed. How did you come to be diagnosed?
1: Sure. Hi. So yes, the thyroid cancer is considered a rare cancer, and I was diagnosed when I was 27. I was I had an annual physical, and my doctor found a lump in my throat that wasn't the cancer; it was something else. And I went to have an ultrasound, and they found the lump, and then they also found the cancer. And so they had mentioned something on my thyroid. And I didn't even know what a thyroid was or what it did. And sometimes I still don't know, even without one. But they said, well, we can biopsy it or you can see if it will grow over time. And I wasn't taking any chances. So I had a, I had a biopsied and it came back right away as thyroid cancer. And so that was January three years ago. So I'll be coming up on my fourth year into I guess survivorship is what you would call it. So ultimately it was found by mistake, which I feel like many thyroid cancers are, they're often undergoing ultrasounds for other things and a doctor happens to mention a spot on the thyroid and the reason the reason why these are I guess to put it to to put it bluntly, it's called the, the good cancer. That's what it was told to me by a couple of different doctors. If you were to get a good, or if you were to get a cancer, this would be the one to have. That's what I was told. And so there's kind of the stigma around it because the treatment can be relatively, I guess, quote unquote, easy compared to other cancers. Now I had metastases, which. I didn't know about when I underwent my first surgery. And so I ended up having to get a total thyroidectomy, which is the full removal of the thyroid and then radiation. And so what I would like to get my, what the, the message that I want to get across is that there was no such thing as a good cancer and every patient's journey is different. Every treatment is different and every cancer is different just because it's easier. Does it make it good or any less stressful uh, for the patient?
0: Well, you do a lot of advocacy work and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Do you find some people are actually offended when they're told, quote unquote, you have the good cancer?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that phrase is well known around the thyroid community. Um, And, To be honest, I, I was pretty, I mean, I was naive when I was diagnosed. And so I, I really took that to mean like I'm, I was going to be okay. And of course I was, but I didn't learn until after treatment that this really is not, you know, a cakewalk it's, it affects you for the rest of your life. And there's medication changes, there's scans, there's blood work for the rest of your life and so I do find that it is very I guess demeaning to say something like that and when you hear that from a doctor like they're putting they're putting words in your mind that you know this is something that you shouldn't have to worry too much about when really it's the exact opposite
0: and you do a lot of advocacy work, and I noticed a, a recent post that you shared on the health literacy site, and you talked about doctors and how they can better communicate, and you shared your own experience. Talk a little bit about about that experience with your doctor and how he took the time to you know, ensure that you understood what was going on.
1: Sure. So I met with my surgeon and he was kind of explaining what the thyroid does and the, the uh, hormones that it produces, T3 and T4, and how that works with the pituitary gland and the brain and the TSH and the thyroglobulin and all, all of these terms that I was not familiar with. And I kind of got like a confused look on my face. And he, he knew he could, he was reading my body language and he knew, and he said, well, let me, let me draw it out for you. And maybe that will help it help me, you know, make it a little bit clearer. And, and it did make it, it made a difference. It really did, it really did help. And so taking the opportunity to understand if your patients are understanding what you're saying can be the difference between uh, a patient who is quote unquote compliant versus non-compliant. Because oftentimes patients who are not compliant often they just don't understand what you told them. And they're too afraid to speak up and say, I you know, I really didn't understand you. And so I really appreciated how my doctor asked me if I was understanding everything and making sure that the information that he was telling me about was clear to me in a way that made sense for me.
2: Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the We Have Cancer Show. My name is Brody Nicholas, and I have the honor of leading Campaign One at a Time. This month, we're sponsoring an 11-year-old cancer patient named Jalen. Jalen is from Houston, Texas, and has a passion for making people smile and laugh. He was recently diagnosed with stage four colon cancer this past September, and has had a really tough time. Between doctor's appointments and having chemo every other week, Jalen has really suffered mentally and was prescribed with antidepressants. We want to do something extra special to raise his spirits, and that's why our mission is to raise $10,000 in the month of February to send Jalen on a dream trip to Los Angeles, California. It's a city that's been on his bucket list for a while now, and we want to do everything we can to make this experience extra special for him. His doctors have approved his travel and actually recommend him and his family go enjoy some time away together. You can learn more about Jalen's campaign by visiting wehavecantershowcom forward slash Jalen. Thank you so much for listening and let's keep spreading good together so we can make more amazing memories possible for another amazing kid.
0: Explain for the audience the definition of compliant, non-compliant when you're talking about patients.
1: So I think it could vary depending, I guess, on who you talk to, but Non-compliant, I think, would mean you're not following your doctor's orders in terms of taking your medications correctly, the timing that you get your scans and your blood work, um, not coming to follow-up appointments, things like that. Whereas a compliant patient would do the opposite. And so, like I said, not taking your medication could mean like could mean something. Oh, I I. I don't know how to take it. I read the prescription directions and they didn't make sense to me, so I didn't take it. Or a scan a non-compliance for a scan could be I wasn't told what this was for and how this could help me, so I didn't do it. So things like that where the doctor can really take the time to make sure that medications that they're prescribing the, the dispensary note is in, a, and is in a way that the patient will understand. They can use something called the teach-back method where they, where they say at the end of the appointment, now tell me how you're going to take this medication before they walk out the door so that they know this is how I need to take it when I get home. And then explaining the reasons for the scans because in cancer care, there are so many scans that you have to get. And if you are just doing them willy nilly without having the reasoning of why you're doing this, and then it just seems, you know, it, it doesn't seem like you need to do it at all. And so having somebody explain that to you, I think can really help patients become more compliant, so to speak, um, which creates those better patient outcomes that they're looking for.
0: Yeah, were you working at the National Cancer Institute when you were diagnosed?
1: I was not. I was so I started at the NCI in 2018, so it was the year after I was diagnosed. And that happens just on a whim. I just was wrapping up. I was in the middle of my 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 graduate degree and one of my colleagues she, she worked there, and she noticed that there was a position open, and she asked me if I would like to interview, and that's how I got that job. And so it's been, it's been really it's been a really interesting position to work in. I work with clinical trials, and so I see a lot of the new drugs that are coming out for not only cancer, but other diseases and rare diseases, and now, of course, COVID. So it's been, a, it's been a wild ride, I, for sure.
0: How did your, or how has your cancer experience kind of impacted your work there and your, 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 your passion to do that type of work?
1: So I would say that, I, you know, when I, re- I read clinical trial protocols and I, I translate the information in these protocols into language that patients can understand, if they would like to enroll and so I understand the impact that this has on patients because clinical trial enrollment is so low and I think one of the reasons why that is is because they read information on clinicaltrials.gov and some of that information like it's just it's not lay friendly and If you don't understand what you're going to be going through and what the study is about, you're not going to enroll. And so my job and my team's job is to make sure that this language is patients is language that patients can understand that will help them decide if this might be the right treatment path for them. And so I have participated in clinical trials myself. There aren't that many for thyroid cancer or my specific type, uh, which is papillary. They're, they're more for more the rare thyroid cancers, such as medullary. But I have participated in a trial or a few trials that are focused on the quality of life of thyroid cancer patients. And I think this is so great because again, that's kind of the opposite of of having the good cancer they're and they're doing these clinical trials to determine you know maybe this cancer isn't so good let's determine what their quality of life is after treatment and so i really appreciated the principal investigators who took this on as you know as a reason to look at you know how are these patients faring after this after these treatments and does that debunk, I guess, the myth of having a good cancer? And so I think that's I think that's how my I think that's how my cancer journey has impacted my work, and I really appreciate it every day.
0: For the uninformed, uh, start at the beginning and explain what exactly a clinical trial is.
1: Sure. So a clinical trial is is a trial that uh, patients can. Enroll in, and it can be a number of different things, or for a number of different things. So, they can be focused on treatment, so they're treating the disease, prevention, preventing the disease. They can be looking for um, things in the community. So, I guess, for example, let's see here, I can't really think of anything at the moment. I'm sorry. Or, uh, let's see here, biological studies where they're looking at specific specimens for tumor markers. Um, And so there's a a number of different trials that patients can enroll in based on their type of disease. And some of them, some of them are very specific and where some of them are very broad. So the more broad clinical trials focus on patients with something like advanced or metastatic cancer, and they can enroll all different types of patients with different cancers that are advanced or metastatic, whereas the more specific trials can deal with patients who have, let's say, stage two pancreatic cancer with EGFR positive mutation. And so it really can get down to the nitty gritty. And I think that's why you need that lay friendly language to, to, to look at the eligibility criteria and determine, yes, I am a good candidate for this, or no, I'm not.
0: What is the, what would be the reason why a patient would want to pursue, or at least look into clinical trials? What's, what's in it for them?
1: So for a lot of patients, excuse me, this might be their last option for treatment. A lot of like rare can, I mean, there are very many rare cancers and you know not all of them are curable and so if a patient is on you know their their last lap this, this these upcoming treatments might be their only option and so testing you know the, the the clinical trial does not guarantee a good result or a bad result that's the it's the whole purpose of the the trial which can be scary but if there is a good result and you've benefited from it, then all the, all the more better.
0: How does a patient know or what is the kind of the guidance as to at what point in their treatment? So let's use me for example. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm stage four metastatic colorectal cancer and have been for over nine years. Okay. Things are stable. I'm on my second line. I'm actually on maintenance chemo right now, but how do you know, like, what's the timing? When should, when's the right time, or is there a right time for a patient to start looking into clinical trials?
1: Well, I think it depends on, it depends on what stage they are in their, in their treatment. For a lot of them, it's for patients who are recurrent or refractory, meaning they have gotten treatment or, and they have Uh, not responded to it, meaning it's refractory to treatment, or or the cancer has come back, which is recurrence. And so for patients who have failed multiple drugs, then a clinical trial might be the next best option. There are also trials for patients who are newly diagnosed, and so those are also available. So I'm not sure if there's a a correct time per se, but I would say for patients who have failed multiple, failed multiple drugs, looking into clinical trials to see if there's a new drug that can help you could be beneficial.
0: We also hear the terms phase one, phase two, Mm -hmm. phase three. Can you explain to us what the different phases, what they mean?
1: Sure. So the different phases correspond with how how advanced these trials are. So if, if you're phase one, this is usually looking at the safety of a drug. Phase two is more advanced, so they're looking at the efficacy or how well patients do, whereas phase three and four are kind of buildups on the phase one and two. And so right now we hear about COVID trials and there are a lot of them and they start out as phase 1 and if they see promising results then they can move on to phase 2, phase 3 and phase 4. Phase 4 is where most I think most drugs are FDA approved. And so it's more it's more of an advancement in finding the benefits of these drugs.
0: Have you found that chemotherapy has caused frequent trips to the restroom, which has left you either in pain or itching or irritated? I know that it's happened to me uh, through my numerous chemotherapy treatments, and I really was at my wit's end. I tried some wipes and didn't really like how that made me feel. And then I came upon Lux Bidet. And Lux is spelled L-U-X-E. And it took me all of, I don't know, about 15 minutes to attach this thing to the toilet seat. And once I did, with a turn of a knob, I was able to rinse myself off with a cool jet of water. And it felt so much more comfortable and really relieved a lot of the pain and the itching, you know, from all of the wiping. I encourage you to check out Lux bidet by visiting wehavecancershow.com/forward/slash/Lux. Again, that's L-U-X-E, to check out their line of bidets. And I know that if you suffer from these side effects, uh, picking up one of these will really make a drastic difference in how you feel true transparency. First off, I would never promote a product that I myself don't use and don't enjoy. So you you know that that's the case here. And if you make a purchase, a small contribution does go to the We Have Cancer Show to help offset some of our costs. However, that that incentive is not passed on to you in any way. It just helps us here at the thewehavecancershow.com. I know You'll enjoy it. Check it out again at wefcancershowcom forward slash L-U-X-E. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. You spend a fair amount of time on advocacy work. Did you dive into that or when you were diagnosed? What was the motivation to, to spend your energy there?
1: So... I I think I started with support groups and I didn't know what a support group was until I ended treatment. My doctors did not tell me about support groups, so I didn't know what they were. I found out on my own. And so I went on to Facebook and I looked up uh, thyroid cancer support groups and I found all all of these patients asking questions. And... They, you know, There's so, so limited knowledge, I think, about this type of cancer, and there's very little resources in terms of websites that can help patients understand besides the American Thyroid Association and THICA, which is the National Organization for Thyroid Cancer. And so I, I thought that this would be an opportunity for me to really t- take a stand for, these, for all of these patients who are like me. And it's been, it's been a blessing to, to say the least. I have just, you know, I wanted to share my story and the power of storytelling, I think is incredible. And a lot of patients are very afraid to share their stories. And I can, I can definitely understand that, but there's this empowerment that you feel when you do share it. And it helps others feel like they're not alone And that's the power of the patient community, right? And so I wanted to do that. I reached out to a company called Inspire and I got in touch with director of communication. I was searching for jobs at the time and he pointed me in the direction of a newspaper in Philadelphia who um, accepted stories like mine. And I wrote to the editor and I said, you know, this is my story and I would like to share it. And she responded and she said, uh, we have too many stories like yours, which kind of threw me off a bit because every cancer patient's story is different, but I could understand where she's coming from if, you know, if they all kind of sound the same. So, but that didn't stop me. I kept looking for more outlets who would accept my story. And I just basically Google cancer organizations and I went through them and I said, you know, who, who wants to hear my story? And that's how I got started. And so I've been able to promote it and promote health literacy, patient education, patient, patient research, and oncology, which are my Top passions now that I've been diagnosed with this disease. And so it's been it's been great being able to advocate for patients like me.
0: You host regular Twitter chats. You're you're quite active on Twitter. And as I, I mentioned in the introduction, you can follow Carly at Carly Flumer on Twitter and see all of her activity. Not everybody knows what a Twitter chat is. So tell us a little bit about it and how people can find out about it.
1: Sure. So I found about Twitter chats in graduate school for a social media class and uh, Twitter chats are basically a chat on Twitter about a specific topic that is run by an organization. So the one that I participate in the most is run by a group called Patient Empowerment Network and they're focusing on empowering cancer patients and their healthcare. And they run a Twitter chat called uh, Patient Chat and every other Friday. And so how you participate in these is you use the hashtag and then use a hashtag and then whatever the hashtag is for that chat. So for Patient Chat, you would use hashtag Patient Chat And that's how you you find all of the tweets related to that chat. And so I think they're very engaging. A lot of people you wouldn't connect with, you connect with those. And Twitter, I think, is so diverse in terms of patients, patient advocates, medical doctors, nurses, (laughs) CEOs of healthcare companies. And so I think a lot of my recognition and advocacy has come from those as well. And so there are a lot of different Twitter chats for healthcare. There's a website that I learned about called Simpler. it's spelled S-Y-M-P-L-U-R. Um, and that's where you can find Twitter chats related to specific topics and the, the top Twitter chats that are held with like the most number of tweets, the most number of people. And so if you're looking for one specifically for your disease, that's how you can find it. Or you can go to your organization's uh, or an organization's Twitter page and see if they offer a Twitter chat.
0: Any success stories that you could share in terms of where you've been able to you know, guide someone on Twitter and, and, and you know, give them some tools that they didn't have prior to connecting with you online?
1: through twitter chats i would say my my work with patient empowerment network i'm the thyroid cancer network manager there and so i write for them every month and my work is promoted a lot through that for the for the patient community and so i think that's where the twitter chats have helped me the most but if i If they're not promoted through that, then I promote it myself and in my own tweets. And so that's how my work gets recognized in that realm.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of great content that you're mm-hmm. putting out on Twitter. I, I read a article, I think you may have even have posted it uh, yesterday or today, on racial bias as it, mm-hmm. as it relates to treatment, which I found fascinating. So I, I can't recommend enough to our listeners to uh, follow Carly on Twitter. She's putting out just a lot of great, helpful, and informative information that all of us who are touched by cancer can benefit from. Uh, Carly, this has been great. You know, your story is very inspiring. And, you know, how cool is it to be able to take, you know, the challenge of being diagnosed and then turn around and go work for NCI Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: have the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of so many people? That's got to be so fulfilling for you.
1: It is. Yes.
0: So I I appreciate you coming on the show and I want to wish you all the best and be well.
1: Thank you so much. Same to you.
0: The Colon Cancer Coalition has a number of exciting events taking place across the country, but even if they're not in your community, they all have the option of some form of virtual participation, so I hope you'll check these out starting on Monday, February 22nd in tucson arizona is the caboose cup charitable amateur golf outing this is in partnership with ColGuard classic to raise awareness and funds to help fight colon cancer in the tucson area uh, lots of prizes there is as i said before a virtual component and its golf tournament is actually taking place at the omni tucson national resort a well-known golf resort you can learn more about this event at coloncancercoalition.org forward slash events. Other events coming up that you may find some interest in, Saturday, March 6th, is the Runs for Buns. Boy, we come up with some great names. (laughs) And this is taking place at Beach Mountain, North Carolina. This is a ski event also to raise funds for the Colon Cancer Coalition. It's taking place, like I said, on Saturday, March 6th. Registration begins at 7.30 a.m., and we're also starting to roll out some of the run-walk events taking place on Saturday, March 21st at McAlpin Park in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is the first Get Your Rear in Gear event for 2021. It's a run-and-walk event also to raise funds for colon cancer research. Learn more about these events at coloncancercoalition.org for all information on this and any other events. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.